Jesus said it, the harvest is plentiful, except in the Middle East, where we would say there is major deception here. The harvest is plentiful, except in Europe, where it's so secular that religious considerations trump everything else. See this? The harvest is plentiful, but. The harvest is plentiful, but in the Northeast, the Northwest, well, it's kind of actually more like Europe, so we don't give weight to religious considerations there. So the harvest is plentiful. Yeah, Jesus said that. But at this time, right now, right here in our culture, we're having to, you know, we're having to work this out because we're just not there. Uh, and, and we even say it in, in my region, and this is, there's some truth to this, that the harvest is plentiful, but in the Bible Belt, yeah, it's the Bible Belt, but we've kind of been vaccinated against the real deal. We haven't formed Christianity. It's not always the real deal. So the Bible <laughs> says this. It says the harvest is plentiful, but we are going, but. Stop it on the butt. Uh, we even say this in Sarah Newton. The harvest is plentiful, but I haven't heard it in all these different ways. The harvest is plentiful, but we have so many communities that we don't really get a shot at. And the harvest is plentiful, but, I mean, our theater department is just totally depraved. <laughs> like, our, our, yeah, the harvest is plentiful, but the agricultural department is, like, completely detached. They're, like, so far from us. They're never in the mall area. We never see them. We don't get a chance to. I mean, we say this as well. The harvest is plentiful at Sam, but those nursing students and music students, they actually do stuff. And, and they're too busy, so how do we reach them? And so you could fill in the blank for you guys at Colorado State, at Wheeling. Um, the harvest is plentiful, but how do you counter Jesus' statements? What do you say in regards to Jesus? So you, you got When you go reach a place and you go to a field, you have to consider the challenges, you have to consider the soil, you have to consider the demographics of the people of that culture, right? But the more I've read this and looked at it, yeah, he gives no qualification of talent and location. Nobody would give this true this here and right now. The harvest is plentiful. Okay, that's, the Bible says it, we're going to say it, stand on it, we've got to find a basis for it. On what basis is the harvest plentiful? Uh, we must look at what we know about the harvest. To actually believe and act on the harvest being plentiful, we must realize something about the harvest, and it's something we already know. Okay? Um, books of the Lord tell me this. What do we know about the, the harvest if the harvest is souls? What did we learn? What do we know from Zacchaeus last night? What did, what did Jesus know about the harvest? Yes, I know that he is lost and the lost have him. What else do we know? What gave him hope for them? Why did he actually send them on their way? Yes, okay. Um, he, but what about how he's known? <laughs> yeah, see, Jesse's got it. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. What do we know about the harvest? Made in the image of God. How is it yellow? How is it white? How is it ready to go? People are made in the image of God. I'm not saying there aren't challenges and that there aren't time pains and time scales, but when, but when the Bible says it, the harvest is plentiful, and we counter it with an ordinary sword, we're always making excuses. And Scripture gives no geographical qualification for it, and no chronological, no time, no time, no place to say, well, you know, in these times, in these ages, among these people, it's a good time to harvest right now. So we have to operate on that basis. Genesis 1, 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness 
so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. The harvest consists of people, souls made in the image of God. If you think a little bit about this, then you have to ask the question of, well, what about after the fall? Genesis 9, 6 says, whoever sheds human blood, by human shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. That's clearly after the fall. And things have changed about us. Man is still made in the image of God. The plentiful harvest that we're talking about this morning consists of souls made in the very image of God. Um, I've been saying that all week, the image of God. Does anybody know just a simple definition of image of God? It's kind of a, it's a wonderful thing, it's a profound thing, it's a simple thing, but it's also like it is kind of hard to, to just break down to one sentence. The best sentence I've heard is this, you are made by God and you are meant for him. Made in the image of God means that you are made by God and you are meant for him. I say that to myself when I hear that statement. Man, I'm hearing that internally. We're getting nowhere. This generation is changing. Let's get on our toes and change it. And I say to myself, made by God, meant for him, made by God. I, I mean, I say that to myself all the time, if I'm honest. Um, you got to say that to yourselves. Um, because if you're honest, this is hard to believe sometimes. <laughs> if you're honest, this is hard to believe sometimes. Look at man, and you will not believe that we are made in the image of God. You will die when you believe that we are made in God. Um, I was on a mission trip several years ago uh, in, in Holland, in the Netherlands. You know, they're officially now just the Netherlands. But I was on a trip to Europe and the Netherlands, and I was actually handing out flyers, inviting people to a church service. And uh, I give one to this one guy passing by, and he chuckles as I give him the flyer. He's like, you want to shake hands and read this? And I'm like, man, <laughs> it's, you know, not a complimenting laugh, like, what in the world did you just say? And so, like, you act like it didn't happen, or do you kind of address the moment? I just decided to address the moment, and I just said, hey, man. What, and I laughed back. I just said with a chuckle, what, what are you laughing about? And he goes, you just invited an atheist to church. And I was like, uh, what's wrong with that? And then he was kind of taken back that I even asked that. I said, what's wrong with that? I mean, he's like, I mean, you would, he goes, you would want me in your church? Not my church. He's like, you would want me in your church? And I'm like, yeah, actually, we'd love that. We would love if you came tonight. And he's like, okay, that's different. I, and he, he's like, I didn't expect that. <laughs> and I said, yeah, you should really come. And, and if you have any honest questions, you can ask him. We can talk. Um, but then I had to ask him, I said, why are you an atheist? Why are you an atheist? And we're actually like on the steps of City Hall. And I said, why am I an atheist? And he goes, look at this guy. And then he asked me with his hand, like as we're standing on the steps looking out over the county, he goes, Look at this fellow. And, and I got what he was saying. Like, look at us. We are a mess. <laughs> we are a mess. Um, and then Joseph Parker, this famous Brit British preacher from the 1800s, actually, this guy's name is Goose. Just to refresh you guys. Um, but look at this place. Look at us. Like, he, like he's saying, if you look at us, like, why don't you believe in God? Um, and then I found this famous British preacher, Joseph Parker, from the 1800s, who actually agrees with Goose. Uh, he says this statement at the outset of the Bible. 
man is made in the image of God, that statement, he says, is enough to ruin the whole Bible. Isn't that funny? That's enough to ruin the Bible. Why did they put it at the beginning? It says that. Uh, and then he explains. You want to see what he, how he explains this? He goes on. To say that all the art today, and he does not have a high view of art, and this is from Oakley. <laughs> what does he think today? I don't know. <laughs> what he goes on. To say that all the art today in Ridley came from Raphael, wouldn't that not bitterly humiliate the artist if you attributed today's modern art, his modern art, to Raphael? That would not be a compliment. He goes on and he says, would we not resent, and this is the same funny vein, he's talking about music in the late 1800s, okay, it's quite a bit different from what we've listened to now. He asks, goes so far as he says, would we not resent saying that all the noise that passes as music today came from Beethoven? Follow his line of thought? And then he goes, and yet the Bible says that man is made in the image of God. It came thus. And then he continues with that thought. He says it again. That's enough to ruin the whole Bible. You want to continue this and see where it goes? Okay, so he invites us to imagine notorious people with an image of God watermark behind them. And so the people he's thinking of wouldn't be relevant to us. But if, if, if you turn into the next century after him and you think of people like Hitler, Stalin, fast forward to right, our, right now, our day and culture, you think about a modern-day school shooter and you picture watermarked image behind them that says made in the image of God. Okay, kind of what uh, Ken so Joseph Parker says, look at us. We are liars. We are drunks. We are selfish. We plot and we scheme. We are cruel, foolish, and vain. On what basis can God say we are made in his image? After looking at man from this perspective, any man would be justified in saying, if man is made in the image of God, I will not worship the God who bears such an image. Pretty serious stuff. Finally, Joseph Parker says this, how can he say, this brings it down to this, how can he say this, how can he say we are made in his image? Because the man we're thinking about, the man we're talking about is not the man we are. He says this, we have been talking about the man with his back to God. We have been talking about the unrepentant man not the man that is facing God, the repentant man. This is the man that falls to his knees in repentance and stops lying and finally tells the truth. He hears the voice of God and he turns and responds. He forgives a defeated man. And he asks this, haven't each of us had these moments? Moments where even before we knew Jesus, but his Holy Spirit was drawing us and we felt conviction and we felt remorse. You could put it this way for an abuse of a trust given to us. Like I've been given this life and it's kind of different, but yet when I use it the same time, I feel like I'm not being responsible with it and I'm not using it as I should. He says, have we not had moments when our, when our souls were disturbed toward heaven? Put the art uses 21st century British English. He says, have you not had an outreaching of holy passion toward Christ that made you believe yourself good, safe, even to the point of death? So 
that there was not a part of you that always longed to be home with your father. I think some of us, we, we still feel that now. We still long for eternity. But if we recognize that feeling, we realize we felt that even before you knew him. And when you're here, you're like in a distant land, but you were, you were longing for it, to be home with your father. And he finally says, this is the man that God is talking about in Genesis 1.27. This is the cry of a child who feels his father, a son or a daughter made in their father's tent. And he says, these moments come about through the drawing power of Jesus, the image of God. Remember, Jesus is not made of human clay. He is the image of God. When we see him or hear from him, we, that have made an image of God, can respond. We can actually turn, face him, and respond in obedience to him. So it's true. Man is made in the image of God. And God can say this because he says it on the face of his son. Through Jesus, he has made the way for his image bearers to grow in his likeness. We can hear this and believe this on behalf of our friends, on behalf of our families, on behalf of ourselves. So I just stop right now and say, can you hear this and believe it on behalf of students at CSU? Made in the image of God. Made in the image of God. Sometimes help me do this for our campus is to think of our students and I think you probably would with me think of your fellow students in light of a couple psalms that I want to read so we're going to look at Psalm 8 some of you guys might know that um, Lord our Lord now, now as I read it like try and connect this to some of the people you sit next to in the cafeteria some of the people you eat next to in the dorm I mean the cafeteria Lord our Lord how majestic is your name in all your building you have, you have set your glory in the heavens. We know that to be true despite what we talked about briefly yesterday, right? Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of the son of man? Human beings that you even care for. Remember from yesterday, um, the speed of light, what is it, 180,000 miles per second, right? So let, let's go after just do that. He says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers. He says that. Then he says, what, what, how are you even mindful of that? How are you even aware of that? If you've done all that, I mean, we're so small and insignificant compared to that. How, how are you even mindful of this? Um, you all know that the nearest star is, is, it's only four light years away. We said yesterday the Milky Way galaxy is 100,000 light years across. So the nearest star is a whole lot closer. And not very close at all. Four years at the star and four years at the speed of light. Or you could stay here and you could go around the earth 999 times and not miss it. So I'll give you a small picture again of like how that. Um, yesterday I told us what our galaxy is right now. The distance across. Well, Hercules, one of the largest, larger galaxies that we see is 1.5 million light years away. Isn't that insane? 1.5 million years at the speed of light to get across. And it's just one of 100 billion galaxies. Okay, and God is mindful of this. He knows how many hairs are on each of our heads. He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. He's intimately acquainted with our, with our worries. Uh, Psalm 139, this is one of my favorites. Check this out in light of your 
you are fellow students. Uh, it says this, for you created my inmost being. Some of the language in here, you have to like read it out loud and stop to think about it. And you're like, what in the world is he talking about? For you created my inmost being. That is a reference to you being more than just flesh and blood. Your inmost being is a reference to you being made in the very image of God. It's a reference to you being the eternal being that has a spirit. And not just you, every person on this campus. It says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. My seam was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret part of the earth. Where is that? When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. What? He goes on, your eyes saw my unformed body. How do you see it? An unformed body is not formed. You can't see. How do you see unless there's actually more to us than our physical beings, right? Then there's actually, there's actually a spirit. He, he knew of us before we were even formed. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them actually came to be. Your parents were the first people to know of you, right? And your parents knew of you before you knew of yourself. But it, this is saying that God knew of you before you ever were acquainted with, with yourself, before your parents were. All your days ordained, written in your book before one of them came to be. Man. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, and it's not because you're in one place or another. The harvest is plentiful at Fort Collins, and not because it's Fort Collins. Uh, people have worked the soil, and worked, or, and not, and is it, nor is it not plentiful because it's Fort Collins. You see that? And nor is it not plentiful because it's 2020, okay? The harvest is plentiful. I'm going to bring this home. It's plentiful because to all men, everywhere, everywhere, for all time, Jesus says, come to me. And when Jesus says, come, you can come. When Jesus says, come, to any student on campus made in the image of God, they can come. So, you know, there's all these comes. I love to look at them in this in this way. John 5, we have this account and Jesus saying to the man at the pool of Bethesda that he's lame. He cannot walk. He cannot walk in 40 years, right? And then what does Jesus do? He walks up to him. And this guy's there to be healed, waiting for the waters to be stirred, for something like a miracle to happen. And Jesus walks up to him and just says, rise up and walk. And that, again, that's like, that's foul. That's like, uh, that's like bad etiquette. Okay, should not be done. The crowd cringes. They know him. They're like, oh man, he's been here for 40 years. He's not walked for all this time. And you just mocked his innocence. You just shamed him in front of all of us. And you asked him to do the one thing that he cannot do. He can talk to us. He can listen to us. He can express himself with his own hands. But he cannot get up and walk. And you just did that in front of all of us. Jesus knows this about this little man, that he's made in the image of God. And more than a man with a body, he has a spirit. He's made in the image of God. And he can speak to his spirit, which is the greatest part of him. And it can arise up and walk. And if he listens to Jesus and hears his voice, 
with his command and recognizes with that command enablement, he says, if you say come, it will be done. And then what happens? Do you know the story? He actually rides back and walks. That's, that's just, I mean, send you right there. Ligaments, muscles, bones, they're not there. But if you just said come, I'm walking. And it's on these faces that he's made him into that. He had no physical qualities that made him qualified to ride horseback. But he's a man made in the image of God. And when Jesus says, come, I'm there. Think about this. Think about how difficult this is. Think of the most difficult people in the universe, the unreachable. And Jesus says, come, they can come. I mean, we know it to be true because of the Sabbath, right? Okay, same deal. Men with a withered hand. Jesus says, it's a parable. Stretch out your withered hand. He's mocking him in a real sense. Like, that's the one thing he cannot do. A withered hand is a hand that is not stretched out and cannot be stretched out. And he says, stretch out your withered hand. How? Why? Jesus knows he's a man made in the image of God. It's the greatest thing about him. And he knows that if he says, come, and that guy looks at him and says, only because you say so, and when your command is always enabled, I'm going to do it. You realize he had to stretch his hand out without any ability to do so. He just had to try and do it. He had to try and do it. And as he tries to do it, the impossible happens. Jesus said to Lazarus lying dead in a tomb, this is, this is really good news. Come forth. I mean, you know the scene. You know how people responded to that. They're like, oh, oh Jesus, he's been in there for three days. And he, he actually stinks. He's starting to stink. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Come forth. He's been laying there. And you're asking him just to get up and walk. That can't happen. And it, th this is like, again, it's like, this is bad etiquette. Don't do this. It's Who is he talking to? Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to Lazarus. The one that was knit together in his mother's womb. The one that was formed. And he, the one who he saw his unformed body before it was formed, right? The one that he knew before his parents ever knew him, right? He's like, oh, he's gone. He's like, no. He's dead in the grave for three days. And Jesus starts talking to him. And he says, Lazarus, get up. Walk. Come forth. How can he do that? Why? Because he's a man made in the image of God. And when Jesus says, come, I'm there. The harvest is plentiful. Because Jesus came. Died and rose again. He sent his spirits and reminds every person on this campus who they can become who they are supposed to be. And he says, Come, walk. I want to finish this way and just ask you guys if you can um, think of somebody on your campus right now that would maybe be what you would call. They're the kind of person that Joseph Parker used at first where, you, where you'd say, image of God, and you'd go, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. Made an image of God, they'd make you a doctor. Some people like that. And just tell yourself, 
These guys are going to be appointed to speak in here. So, Lord, would you call for them? Help them, help them in and to love to love. Would you say to them, stretch out your withered hand? Would you say to them, may I have fruit from the fruit of this simple bread? Would you say to each of these dead men, open your mouth? Come forth.
that that just sinks in as we're driving home today. You guys put this in your hearts not to forget what you just heard.